this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. It's the podcast where I sit down with an extraordinary person and share their story. They may have overcome adversity, they might still be on their journey, but they all have stories that will make you laugh, cry, and also feel a little bit inspired in your own life. So I'm over the moon today to be joined by a talented woman who has used her platform to open the conversation about a subject that half of the humans in the world experience. It's periods. Emma Barnett is an experienced and award-winning broadcaster and journalist, previously being the Sunday Times Agony Aunt and the women's editor at The Telegraph, and currently presenting Women's Hour on BBC Radio 4 and Newsnight on BBC Two. Emma is used to interviewing key figures of our time, but in her first book published in 2019, it's about bloody time, period. Emma writes from personal experience about her own struggles with endometriosis and writes for the women whose stories may otherwise go unheard. Yesterday, the paperback version of the book was released and I'm very excited to say she is here now to speak to me. Hello, Emma. Thank you for having me. I've always wanted to have a chat with you, actually. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, it's funny because I sort of follow you on Twitter and find myself like nodding and agreeing out loud to everything <laughs> you tweet, um, but never actually sat down with you. No, it's lovely to, to be with you. And I know we're not in person, but as good as I can see you. Yeah, <laughs> it will do for now. Um, so am I right? My, my first question um, was about periods. Um, and obviously the paperback book is out this week. Is it right that you were the first person to announce on telly, on live telly, that you were menstruating? Yeah, I believe on live telly news uh, is probably the most accurate, but it could be, I suppose, in the really? UK. Uh, yeah, it's because I did it on Sky News, which is not necessarily where you might expect it. I mean, there could have been someone, I suppose, on Big Brother back in the day who said it or something like that. But I think the context of doing it on a news channel was definitely a first and it certainly got a bit of attention. Uh, and if I'm honest, although I'd planned to do it, I hadn't really thought it was that big a deal. Uh, it was relevant. Mm -hmm. I always find if I share something when it's relevant. So we were doing, it was a debate programme called The Pledge. Uh, and I was on with my really lovely co-panellists, uh, Nick Ferrari, June Sarpong, the footballer Graham Lasseau, uh, Rachel Johnson, the journalist, and all of them. I just happened to say it because I was talking about menstrual leave. A company in Bristol had decided to experiment with trying to work with women's cycles. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm in agony right now and mm. I am menstruating. So I'm just going to say it. So I said, well, I'm menstruating right now and it really hurts. And all of them just looked like they'd vomited in their mouths. And Even the women? Swallow it. 
Right. Not as much. They look more shocked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then something began from there. My period kind of followed me around. I mean, it had been following me around literally for my whole life since I was 10. Uh, and I was very ill with it. But when I said that, I didn't actually know I had a period disease. I just thought I was one of those unlucky women that mm. was in a lot of pain. Yeah, and that's a common thing, isn't it? Because as women, we endure quite a lot of physical and mental pain. And particularly the British culture is just to get on with things and have a stiff upper lip. There are so many people out there suffering that think this is normal. How do you actually gauge what is a normal period and actually what needs some kind of diagnosis? Totally. And I remember when I began my period, although my mum was really lovely and sort of celebrated it and bought me hot chocolate and told everybody in the department store we were in that I'd started, uh, (laughs) you know, that was lovely, um, and asked everybody for a sanitary towel for me. Uh, Uh She also just said, oh, it's it's hell. You know, this is how it is, because when I started to have really bad pain and I had inherited that message that this was just going to be hell. And obviously for some people it's still really painful and they don't have a disease, but I kind of knew something wasn't right with me for a long time. And I do think more generally to your point that we have got this message that women and pain go together like bread and butter or something, you Mm. know, that we, and there was a study in the book that I quote from the NHS, which talks about the ridiculous number of women who are coping with stuff with pain, basically, whether it's to do with their periods, whether it's issues to do with menopause, incontinence, sexual dysfunction, and just live it, live with it, just just grin and bear it. And you, you know, you really don't have to. That's the point. You might not be able to get a cure. Sadly, for many female diseases, there are not. But I do think answers can also at least make you feel like you're not going totally mad. Mm, I wonder if it's because you know pain is invisible, and I suppose lots of us have learned how to cover it up. And when you think about things like chronic pain, we also Mm. associate mental health problems with chronic pain because, you know, for anyone listening that that lives with chronic pain, it's a really debilitating, you know, existence. Would you say there are mental health issues associated with having endometriosis? Yeah, it's such a bugger to say, isn't it? I've also got something. I know. I've also got something. (laughs) Is there an abbreviation? Endo, just call it endo. Endo, endo, Um, right. I've also got something called adenomyosis, which I didn't even put in the book because I didn't even know I had that at the time, which is something to do with the the actual womb. I won't go into all of that. But the the irony is when I got told that, the guy said to me, which was not funny at all, but I do like a pun. He said, oh, don't worry. I mean, nobody knows anything about that one. It's the elephant in the womb. (laughs) I was like, oh, (laughs) excellent work. But um, I do think when something's invisible, it's, it's something that you grin and bear and it can really wear you down. I mean talking to you now, I have been waiting for my period to start for the last 12 days. I have been in agony for the last 12 days. All of my symptoms, all my pain comes before the period, which is quite common for women with my condition. And when Mm. the period comes, it's actually like a release. It's like my body struggles to process it. And, you know, I haven't slept for three nights talking to you now because of pain. I've had a bit of sleep. Uh, And there's nothing more frustrating, you'll know, especially when you're a mum, if your child is asleep and you're not. So, um, you know, (laughs) it's horrific. horrific. So I I wrote the book because when this originally came to me, I I really didn't know I was very ill and and pretty ill, actually. Mm. But I also wrote it because there's a lot of things that we learn by just speaking about periods. There's also a lot of funny stories as well, you know. But if we don't talk about it at all, you can't share any of that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not something that women are given advice on until it affects them. You know, I mean, even even now we're doing this podcast and I'm just assuming that people know what endo is and what it means for a woman. I mean, you were diagnosed when you were 21, right? No, so I was diagnosed when I was 31 and it was 21 years since I'd started my period and had gone to a doctor. I mean, I went to a doctor with my mum when I was 11 saying, Mm -hmm. can't cope. And he just gave me a really strong packet of painkillers. Uh, which also I think when you're 11, I'm not even sure I, I, I feel good about those things, but um, mm. much stronger than paracetamol. But uh, yeah, I didn't get diagnosed. So I was 31 and I was trying for a baby and we we couldn't have a baby. You know, it just wasn't working. Uh-huh. And I knew something, as I say, deep down wasn't quite right with me. Endometriosis is where um, tissue that's like the lining of the womb doesn't leave the body during a period and grows on other organs. And I was at stage two of four when I was eventually diagnosed, which by the way, was by one of my really good friends over breakfast. She guessed. She (laughs) happens to be a doctor and she guessed. Uh, And I also really like to stress kind of public health message. You can only be diagnosed through a laparoscopy, which is a a keyhole procedure, Uh which is not pleasant at all. Um, So that's, that's kind of how I came to my diagnosis 21 years after. But I was on a photo shoot for promoting the book the other day and of the eight people on the shoot three of us had endo you know one in ten yeah. women have it it takes an average of seven years to be diagnosed and do you think if men had testicular pain in the way that I've got pain running through my body right now that we wouldn't have a cure mm. for it no way yeah no way yeah it just wouldn't stand they wouldn't be expected to get on with it in the way that women do, you know. Do you think it's a thing about education that, you know, obviously we learn about periods, you know, starting right back at school in in PSHE. Do you think it's something that needs to be within the curriculum and talked about early on? Yeah. And I don't think the boys should be sent out. I think it's, I mean, in a weird way, my hope for periods is that they become utterly unremarkable. You know, even if you've got quite a remarkable Mm. one doing awful things to you, that the talking about them becomes unremarkable because they're so humdrum, if you think about it in another way. They're every month. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to have them. You can take pills. You can stop them. Uh, And But they're still, because it's blood, because it's in our pants, there's still a weird mystery about them. And I also think, although education is important, it's also when you leave school, there's this idea that Mm. periods are for children. And yes, that's when you start, usually. Um, Mm -hmm. But actually, as women, our periods change. You can have all sorts of situations. I mean, there was a woman I spoke to in the book who was a successful businesswoman. She'd never spoken about a period before. And she's got such heavy periods that when she travels for work in normal times, she sits on a plastic bag in the cab so she doesn't leak. Yeah. I I actually know quite a few people that do that. Do you? That is common. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I I mean, I'm just even talking to you now, I'm thinking, do I talk about my periods? And I think... No, I don't. And I'm thinking, why not? And and all these words are coming into my mind of like unhygienic, dirty, shameful, which is crazy because we're women. We have no choice but to bleed. We make babies. But there is massive taboo around this subject still, even in this day and age. And this is 2021. Why do you think something so simple is, is still a taboo and, and something that isn't optional? Yeah, I mean, we are, I think, the only mammals, apart from the elephant shrew, that bleed every month uh, and, and, and certainly don't die. Uh, it's part of what we have to do. And as you point out, it's very important, which is why I have a mixed emotions towards my period. Uh, it's very important that we do, you know, in terms of being able to procreate. And some people see their period very much as a, a sign of their health. Um, and it can be all their ill health. I think there's several reasons why it's a very stubborn, persistent taboo. One, the idea of we're trained to 
fear blood. Blood is danger. Two, as I say, it's in our pants, the darkness of our pants. You know, before you get a period, it's kind of like, what's this thing? There's mystery all about it. And there's the unclean element. And, and, you know, it's quite a lot of... I interviewed a guy who simulated having a period for a week for BuzzFeed. And he, while while making me laugh, because they created a beet juice thing, which dripped into his pants. (laughs) So BuzzFeed. uh, In America. He's called Edgar. He's very funny. He just said to me, like, I can't believe the admin that is associated Uh, with it. That I have to remember to take stuff out. I have to remember to change. I don't even have the hormones or the cramps that go with it. That's the least of our worries. <laughs> how did they how did they emulate the whole experience? So they didn't have the bloating, the pain. No, exactly. So he had a very, swings, very so. he just had the liquid dripping into his pants. But yeah. even then he like he leaked, he forgot to change, uh, he couldn't be bothered, you know, he thought he, they kept it going, I think, while he was still asleep, you know, because obviously we don't turn off. Uh and so mm-hmm. it just made him realise what women are silently kind of handling and dealing with all the time <laughs> I, I need to look that up personally for me like the leaking and the actual flow is the least of my worries that's the easy bit I think I agree I think it's all the stuff around it and that's even more invisible you know to mm. to put into context but I, I also think it's there because of culture and religion you know the, mm-hmm. the the religions of the world most of them the major ones have all got something to say about periods and it ain't good you know, yeah. you could dress it up. You could say it's empowering and have time away from your husband, like Judaism preaches, or don't go to the temple because you can have time on your own if it's in Buddhism or, you know, in Hinduism, we've seen all sorts of uh, women not being able to go to certain temples. It's absolutely disgraceful that we still have messages that we're unclean. Therefore, we cannot be touched. We cannot go to prayer pla- places of prayer those things, even if you're not religious, permeate culture. They really do. Mm. And they're in, as I say, all of most of major religions. Even if you don't follow mm. it, you might still get the same memo as obviously cultures. We've got, you know, girls in Nepal who are in outhouses. They're in separate homes for them. Really? When That's still in, happening? When, yeah, when they're in their period. You know, they're not clean, in inverted commas. There's still loads of myths, like women curdle mayonnaise. That's one in Madagascar when we're menstruating. Pliny the Elder in Roman times thought we would ruin the wine crop. You know, there's so many of these things that you may not hear about every day in your life, but they they lead to a squeamishness around women and our bodies and periods and shame and how the medical community have treated us as well. Mm. Well, I thought one of the great things about the book, I mean, first of all, I thought, well, what is the paperback? What does the front cover look like? Because <laughs> will people sit on the tube and will they read it? Because the title yeah. is, is, it's there, isn't it? It is. It's, it's actually, um, yeah. to bring it right up to date with what you're asking about, what sort of how and why do we still have the taboo? The paperback is a take on the emoji, the blood drop emoji, and the words are within that. Uh, So it's red and white. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty clear what it's about. Uh, The hardback had all the different names that people use instead of period. My favourite being riding the cotton unicorn. Love that. I've never heard that one. <laughs> My fave. Gonna use that. Yeah, see, there's yeah. a lot of humour. There's a lot of humour in there uh-huh. as well because uh, we have women are very good at laughing at themselves, despite the uh, the rep that certain men like to give us. But uh, <sighs> I was going to say that the most shocking for me when I was researching the book was some of the most modern companies and organisations that still basically engage in period shaming. Which, for instance, we I heard the story of Thinks, which are 
a period pant, you know, like an absorption knicker. They were advertising on the New York subway and they were asked to tone down their adverts because they thought it was too rude and their... The punters on the tube, as they as we call it, wouldn't be able to handle seeing periods or anything directly linked to periods. Meanwhile, you've got like scantily clad women and men advertising mm-hmm. all sorts. All the beach body posters. Exactly, yeah, which yeah. I've got no issue with per se. But if you're going to have those, you could certainly have a cycle, a natural cycle being represented. Or, you know, the idea that Fitbit forgot forgot about tracking the menstrual cycle till 12 years or so into its organisation's life, or that Apple, when it brought out a health suite in 2014, Mm -hmm. didn't include the menstrual cycle, despite saying it was a one-stop shop. That's because apparently, as it's understood, there were no women on the design team. So, but I mean, the most shocking one for me, actually, there's two, sorry. One is that the emoji, the blood droplet emoji, the story of that I've put in full in the book for the paperback, around why and how it didn't get approved because Uh it kept being rejected because periods were seen as not something you'd have on an emoji uh, keyboard, despite there being 12 trains. I didn't even know it existed, if I'm honest. I didn't even know there was a blood drop emoji. There's very recent... And the real reason as to how the women who got it on there got it on there is 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 just almost laughable, but it's not. They basically teamed up with NHS Blood, the women who put forward the design mm-hmm. to the people who control it. They're called the Unicode Consortium, this mysterious group of people in San Francisco. And um, they put it forward through NHS Blood. So they got it through as blood, not as period blood. They had to... And that was the only way they, they could do it. had to do a workaround, yeah. yeah. So if you still type period into your phone... It won't come up necessarily. I think some people's it does. I've heard maybe with menstruation, I believe it does. But with period, it doesn't. If you type in blood, it comes up. And it's just these little things. Excuse the pun. Well, it adds to the shame and the secrecy, doesn't it? It drip, drip, drips as a problem. (laughs) I had to say that. Um, But the other one, I was going to say, Katie, really quickly, I just want to say this one. You know how you have the pill and you take a break to have a period on some pills? I don't know if you've ever Uh taken a period. Um, yeah, in the past I have. Yeah. yeah, so you know, I used to do it and you'd have those seven days. I thought they were compulsory, so I stayed healthy and I'd always feel really guilty if I ran my pill back to back for on holiday and I didn't want mm. to bleed, for instance. That is completely fake. That break was created to appease Catholic society in the 60s. It was so that Catholic wow. men didn't know their women were on the pill and therefore using birth right. control. Oh my goodness, of course, yeah. Wow, it's... But we only found that it's out. It's pretty horrific. In the last two years. Yeah. Do you know what? I didn't have a period um, after everything happened to me of my injuries. My period stopped, I think, through shock. And then they didn't return, I think, because of stress. And it was a good kind of five or six years I didn't have a period for. And that was one of the worst things. When it returned, I was like, I've totally forgotten what it's like. You know, like most of my 20s being period free because of that medical yeah. reason. And then for it to return, but then it returned with a vengeance. So, I mean, really? it was fortunate it returned because obviously it's a, a sign of fertility. So that was a positive thing. But but that fi- that five, six year break kind of spoiled me, I think. Gosh, I, um, I've heard little bits about that. And I've also heard when people have cancer, their period really responds, but I, I, I've not heard necessarily about it stopping completely for for that length of time. That, that's astonishing. Well, and it's a weird thing, like when I was in a coma, my period didn't stop. 
And obviously oh. then you have sort of medical people helping you with, with care and yeah. stuff. And then, yeah, then afterwards when I left ICU, it, it just didn't return for those years. It's a really bizarre thing, it's isn't fascinating. it? fascinating. Don't, don't think about that. No. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I had an experience once with somebody who wanted to, um, like, role-play, uh-huh. like, um, like with relative stuff. No. Yes. No. That's a and hard I couldn't, pass. And I said, I said, um, they no. wanted, they first said... Da- like dad, daddy, oh, and, and I said, um, well, that's not so bad. But um, so I suggested maybe like I said maybe the most I could do is uncle. <laughs> okay, so that was just a snippet of an episode with actor and podcaster Justin Long. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and I'm telling you, you need to listen to the full episode on my podcast. Dinner's on me. Over a meal at Pine and Crane in downtown LA, we get into his love story with Kate Bosworth, his career, and so much more. To listen, just search Dinners on Me wherever you listen to podcasts. What about um like around the world? Obviously, there's lots of different organizations and campaigns. Um, there's you know, addressing period poverty, there's the Eve Appeal, period positive projects. Um, and we're seeing them more in mainstream media, like on Instagram, and they're making more headlines. Do you think significant changes are being made or do you think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done? Well, I think period poverty, especially in such a wealthy country like Britain, is so shocking. You know, you can barely get Mm. your head around it. And, you know, although I said it in a jokey way, genuinely, if men did have periods, don't you think that when men who designed the world of work and politics and made all the laws and rules, don't you think when it was being mandated that there would be free toilet paper and free soap in every single yeah. place you had to use the loo, that there'd also be free sanitary towels and tampons mm-hmm. because it's not a choice, right? As you say. Mm. So while I do think it's obviously greater visibility is better, we didn't even have the phrase period poverty when I was growing up, you know, and as one woman said to me, you know, nobody knew, so nobody helped. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's a very, very embarrassing situation, even if we've got a name for those who are involved. And also... Another thing in the book I discovered was about how periods are used against homeless women. So if you put oh, really? tampons in shelters and sanitary towels, sorry, that actually, I don't think, I think sanitary towels is actually often what people recommend because obviously it's the cleanest and easiest. Um, mm. Definitely can't do moon cups with, with women on the street for all the obvious reasons. Um, mm-hmm. But they were finding when they put them on the desk, men would come and take them and then use them to extort sexual favours from women on the street. Um, So that was a currency also that I had no idea about. There's all these stories, you know, horrifying, true, and also almost ridiculous at times that I kept coming across. But I think we are in a situation now where Scotland has become the first country in the world to make periods free, which only Mm. just happened. And I do think while you should still, there's always a place for a market and for choice for products and all of that. But I do wonder if in a hundred years time, they will look back and think, why on earth were there not always free sanitary products in toilets? Yeah. 
And we're, and we're taxed on them as well, aren't we? Yes, that's gone now in this country after oh, the campaign. Has. Well, no, that was sort of, you know, for some people, the the silver lining of Brexit. For others, it was an additional bonus if they voted that way. Uh, it was something that we could take ourselves out of because it was part of the EU. But America are doing it state by state and, and there are women campaigning about that. But yes, the very fact that we were taxed in the first place, the idea yeah. it's a choice, that it's a luxury is just laughable. Well, actually, you say that. I remember being younger and if you did go anywhere where there were uh, sanitary towels or tampons in the restroom, I remember thinking, oh, posh. This is a really posh place yeah. because the the tampons are in the ashtray for free. And <laughs> that's so that is so weird that my mind associated it with luxury yes. um, and sort of something quite special almost a treat that they're there oh some sweeties i'll take a few of those i think for, for people listening um what can we do on the ground so obviously you know we when we go to the food bank they always need um sanitary towels they always need cosmetics but what other things can your average person do i've, I've seen on my social media that are some of the leading supermarkets you can go in now and you can discreetly ask like that's their actual wording at customer service for a free package of oh. sanitary items but but still it's quite sort of you know secretive which is really yes. weird but what could we do in the community to make a difference well i think well donating is always great there are some amazing charities there's also a charity called bloody good period that supports uh, women refugees who mm. are here without anything uh never mind thinking about sanitary towels you know they need all sorts of things as well but that's a, an amazing sort of realization by the founder of that to to sort that out. But I think, I also think if you have a company and you could make them free, if you're letting people back in and having products in your toilets, it's a great sign. Uh, even having them out on the reception desk like some schools do now. So you could just take them. It's not something to be ashamed of. Uh, I do think also the way that you have it in your own home, you know, uh, some women I know still kind of have a weird little cupboard or drawer that the, the men in their life aren't allowed to see. I think you could start at home with being more open about what's going mm. on with you. Uh, and hopefully that kind of spreads into all other areas of your life. Uh, and, you know, I've had men say to me, what shall I do? And, and I was thinking of the American politician who got into trouble because he his office expensed a load of sanitary towels and tampons. Uh, and the the Republican person in charge at the time, he was a Democrat, not that it was a party political issue, but uh, said, you know, this isn't this isn't an essential item. And he argued the case and, and it went viral. But mm. I do think male leaders can also take a bit of a lead and just by making it way more open. And also just on a personal note, when you design toilets, please, can you leave enough room for there to be a sanitary towel bin that doesn't yeah. touch your thigh as you sit <laughs> yes. down? Yes. Because that is or gross. Or just have one so we don't have to carry stuff around in our bag till we find one. Yeah, that exactly. Would be nice it's not yeah. gross that, you know, I'm not saying periods are gross, stressing that. I'm saying the fact that a bin has to touch mm. your leg is yeah. not great. I do feel that I need to out myself here because I'm sort of nodding as you're saying some of this stuff. And I'm thinking about me. I do keep my tampons and sanitary towels in a secret hidden sponge bag in a hidden cupboard. And I've got two daughters, one's three and one's seven. And they have noticed things and they've come into the bathroom with me. And I haven't told them about periods because I felt that it was too soon and it would lead to questions about sex. And mm. seven isn't that young. You know, you can start your periods at what nine or 10. Do you think I should be completely explaining in black and white what those sweets are, as my kids call them? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. That was what I mean, what I would say just 
almost to broaden out for a moment, but I'll definitely answer that, is that I'm not saying everybody should talk about periods. And I'm certainly not saying they should do it all the time either. I'm saying that you should be allowed to as and mm. when you want to. That's what I'm saying. And I think there is a pervasive feeling that you can't, shouldn't or mustn't. I yeah. think with children, I am not somebody who preaches what people should do with their children. And mm. you've got to do what feels right for you. But there are now some really good books. Um, there's an educator that I quote in my book called Chella Quint. And she's right. actually got a website and can equip you with the language. And she, I believe she's got a book coming out of her own uh, to have those conversations. Mm. I am actually sort of laughing to myself now because as I'm thinking about it, I've told my seven-year-old what an acid attack is, but I will not tell her what a tampon is used for. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, probably slightly off key, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) No, it's not. I'm laughing because it is just an extraordinary comparison you've just pulled. Um, Because one's really natural and and okay. And as you say, a sign of um, often a a healthy body and a healthy woman, but the other one is, you know, the most atrocious thing in the yeah. world. Uh, so you, you, you're probably right to maybe compare what you think is okay and what, what perhaps you've shied away from. Um, uh, thinking about the, the whole journey of, of writing a book and actually, you know, it's quite a difficult journey oh. to get published. And even when you get the publishing deal, that's like when the hard work starts really, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and just thinking, you know, you have a huge platform, you're very well established and accomplished and you could have written about so many subjects. And I know, obviously, you've got your own journey with endo, but I mean, I'm so pleased you chose the subject of periods, but what made you choose that over anything else you could have written about? Well, you may have seen, I did post about this on Instagram, that one of the publishers I went to see when I was sort of seven months pregnant with this, uh, to, to see if he wanted to publish it, said, why on earth are you writing about this subject? Why are you not writing about something proper? like politics or Brexit at the time was all the rage or, you know, interviewing prime ministers or something that, you know, a man viewed as serious and important. And actually Mm -hmm. one of the extra chapters I've put in the paper band is not about being against men, but only men have actually been the ones to say this to me, Mm. um, is about the fact that I I remember being at a Waterstones event for the book and a woman came up to me and I was on Five Live at the time. That's where I used to have my radio show. And she said, my husband was going to come tonight. He's a huge fan of yours. He loves, you know, your journalism and and the humour on the programme and everything. But then he found out what you'd written about. And he said, why didn't you write about something, something proper? Something I I can't come to that. And while I accept that some men will not have any interest, and I'm not going to be naive about that, although I do argue and believe that men should be invested in women's health and women's bodies uh, for, for all sorts of reasons, I do worry about who decides what's important Mm -hmm. and the lens through which we see the world. You know, the majority of newspapers are still edited by Mm. men. You know, until recently, the majority of programmes were still edited by men. The lens through which we see our world through the media has been male. And look at fashion. One of the most, uh, you know, I'm not particularly, I, I love it for myself, but I'm not particularly interested to read or watch necessarily about fashion, but just look at it in brute numbers, it brings in billions to this country as a business. And yet we see it as unimportant sometimes and Mm -hmm. silly, right? But look at football. Yeah, frivolous. That's the word I was looking for. Football, right? It's just some blokes kicking around a ball. And now increasingly, it's some women kicking around a ball. As you can hear, despite being a Mancunian, not my interest area per se. I can appreciate it. Well, 
I can appreciate the joy and I can appreciate what it gives to people. I love that camaraderie for people, mm -hmm. yeah? But we treat it, we talk about it like it is in matter, a term of life and yeah. death, Yeah. right? So, but one's dominated by men and has been forever, even though that's changing, and one's dominated by women. So go figure. And and the reason I wrote the book isn't because I thought, do you know what? You know, this is a disgrace. Someone needs to write this book. I actually wrote it and then found all of that out afterwards. Mm. I wrote it because it became my story. And the real reason, and it became all the women's stories they were telling me, and the real reason I wrote it was I thought, if I can't get answers for a living about my own body, and I'm someone who gets answers out of people or tries to for a living... Other women have got problems going on. And also there's so many untold stories. I thought I could be a good conduit yeah. for them. That said, I wrote it on maternity leave, which was a big error <sighs> because maternity leave, as I found out, is a very badly advertised time in your life because there's no leave. No break. Involved. No break. Yeah. <laughs> Were you doing it kind of like middle of the night, early hours of the morning between yes. feeding and yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, not, not something I would prescribe to anyone else, but I, you know, although I regret, the pressure it gave me. I did love talking to the women and it gave me mm. something else during that time. And who are the women in the book and how did you find them? Some came to me via social media uh -huh. to tell me their stories. Uh, some I met through my radio programme and took down their stories. Uh, a few were through kind of journalists who'd covered certain things. Uh, one in particular in America, there's a, there's a chapter called uh, about period sex, which I knew nothing about because as you can imagine having a period disease the last thing I want to do mm -hmm. uh, when that's happening is that but yeah. there are all sorts of people who are into it for all sorts of reasons so there was it's a, a fetish woman in for some people oh yeah. yeah yeah cover that and she coined the term for many like it brilliant term uh, she coined the term bloodhounds so she introduced me yeah. to some people who would talk to me so yeah I found people from around the world in a variety of ways and actually one woman was from my past. I'd been traveling with her when I was much younger and I'd never forgotten her story. She has a particular condition and she's born without a womb and she had always wanted mm -hmm. a period. So I remember going back to her and seeing she would tell me her story. So yeah, and some were colleagues, you know, there's a woman's story in there. She knows about it. I don't name her. She got her tampon stuck on the way to a meeting with me and I had to talk her oh, through God. getting it out, which included me saying a phrase, bear down, which I'd never said ever before. <laughs> but the man in the cab who was driving me as he overheard my conversation was like, have you just taught someone how to give birth? I was like, yeah, to a tampon. <laughs> Sounds like some kind of yoga move from North London or something. It does. <laughs> I did, I did wonder if anyone had asked to be anonymous. I mean, I can understand why that woman yes. would, but did anyone else want to be anonymous? Yeah, definitely. That's a really good point. Loads of people did. Um, you mm. know, there's a particular story as well. I'll just share this one. I really think it's amazing on many levels, but very, very briefly, Gillian, she's called. And again, just first names. But I actually heard about this mm -hmm. through a podcast. She appeared first on This American Life and then she agreed to let me use the story. But she was an actor and... At the cast party when they'd finished the run, her and her co-actor got together and they were about to get down to it and he's called Jeffrey. And she says, we can't because I'm on my period. And he says, I don't care. So then after they finished, he goes to have a shower and she gets up, turns the light on and says it looks like a crime scene. Literally blood everywhere. Blood on the wall, bloody handprints. She was so ashamed she stole his bed sheets. So she literally stripped his bed... <laughs> Put it all in her rucksack, gets better, Katie, I promise. Goes to the subway, just leaves without saying goodbye. She's so ashamed. 
And it's just after yeah. 9-11 and they're doing spot checks on the subway. Oh, my so gosh. So she gets pulled off me. the subway and said, open your bag. And she's like, no. And she said at this point, she had a choice. Like, does she go to jail for her period <laughs> or does she show the man what looks like a crime scene? So she shows the man and they go... No, I'm going to jail. And they go back to the apartment <laughs> because her only alibi is the guy she's walked out on. And he was amazing. He literally was like, yeah, we had period sex. Oh my God. There was, there was a saying, that. there was a saying at college, blood sports. Are you into blood sports? It was like a really... Oh, I didn't hear that one. Yeah. I, 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 that was just a thing when I was growing up. But yeah. There you go. There so, you go. Sorry, mum, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the book... I hope she is listening. She's yeah, very important. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. See, there you go. See, I'm like, that's my go-to kind of approach around it all, isn't it? Do you think the whole goal with the book um, and just all the language and, and being so open about it, is it to end the secrecy around periods? Is that the aim? Yeah, I think that my goal is to make them utterly unremarkable. Mm. And when they are difficult that being unremarkable means you can actually talk about them and talk to others and learn if you are normal, talk to your doctor, find the language to describe what's going on with you, but also have a laugh, like to say things. Or if you're at work and you really need to just open a window or whatever it is that you can without having to lie, it it, it seems so odd to me that women that I spoke to in this poll that we did for for the BBC, they were more comfortable saying to their boss that they had diarrhoea Mm -hmm. than period issues that day I mean diarrhea is actually quite gross when you think about it whereas your period like you're more comfortable seeing for the squids than you do having a perfectly natural thing that might just be giving your body jip that day yeah, like it's bizarre it just makes no sense yeah, but we all we're all guilty of it at some point it's just society's made us feel that way it's bizarre yeah no I I've tried to practice what I preach and because I am particularly unwell uh, with it and I walk like a much older lady when I when I'm struggling with my pain and all of that. I've tried to own it. I've tried to have a bit of humour. And I remember being with a load of guys on a a radio show uh, that we were out on the road for and it was during one of the elections. And I just said, you know, I need some coffee. I need something. I need something sugary. And they were like, oh, why? I was like, because I'm in agony with my period. And they looked at me like, oh my gosh, she's doing that thing that she said to do in her book. They're like, what does your book say now? I'm like, just go and get the coffee and be really nice. (laughs) Oh, at least it wasn't a tumbleweed moment. At least there wasn't a deafening silence. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there was the the MP who said to me, oh, what have you written your book about? And I said, periods. And he went, oh, which period of time? And I went, the one Uh, in my pants. uh, (laughs) What did he say? That was tumbleweed. That was tumbleweed. (laughs) Is there any? Is there plans for another book? What What's the kind of future for the book? Um, not, not, not. I think I've said for me anyway. All I can say, although you've just, you know, I keep picking up extras like blood sports. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I haven't got any plans for another book. No, not. I'd well, love, I, I would I'd love to get this for blood sports. Yeah, you you would yeah. quite <laughs> rightly should. Um, but I, no, I've. I really. I think the pleasure of it is that I get to talk to you. I get to talk to people. I get to. Mm to try and have some of the chats and people who then realise maybe how their own attitudes are and what that yeah. means. And what about if people are listening um, and just recognise themselves in some of the chat, particularly in the endo chat, um, and they think they've got those symptoms, what is the next step for those women? What should they do? Go to the doctor, try and, in fact, before you do, go to the GP with endo specifically or something like that. Um, write down how you feel, keep a bit of a diary, download a tracker, 
I kept notes on my period for a few weeks and and actually I never had tried to describe the pain and it turns out what I was describing was actually very very if you knew endo if you knew it as a condition what I was describing was textbook so some of the things that can block diagnosis not just of women uh, and endo is the fact you don't have to say it so I would try Mm. and find the words to describe your situation I'd go to a GP and I would push for a referral to see a specialist and if they don't believe you I think you then either need to ask to see somebody else, which, you know, we talk about second Mm. opinions, but I think the NHS and that culture of gratitude we've got for it, quite rightly so, can sometimes mean that we we don't push for things in quite the way that we do. Yeah, Yeah, we don't want to be a burden. And ideally, we wouldn't be in that situation. I just would Mm -hmm. stress that. Um, I hope more doctors and they say, all the organisations, they are getting more training about this. But I would try and get a second opinion and push a game to see someone because... You know, we don't have gynecologists in this country. Like in France, they've got gynecologists and they're so close to them, the women, that they come to their Christmas parties. You know, like they're part of their lives. Uh, And don't get me started on postnatal care of Mm. our bodies. You know, we we leave hospital and it's been recognised as the NHS as one of their big issues. But we don't get six weeks like in France of pelvic floor Mm. care, you know, we sort of have to battle on again. Yeah, yeah. I experienced, I had a lot of treatment in France and I lived there for a few months. And I remember people talking about having their own therapist, having their own gynecologist, and it was just kind of part of the structure of their everyday health. Um, And thinking, well, actually, I wouldn't even see a gynecologist unless I had a serious problem. You know, that I'd go to the GP for the smear and then there would be the, the random gynecologist. But yeah, to be attached to one permanently just it seems excessive. And again, indulgent and luxurious. Yes, luxury. It's so it's so good, the point you've made about associating something so basic that is so not luxurious, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Having somebody poke around down there or being given a free tampon is really not the equivalent of a foot spa. <laughs> Definitely not. On that note, I think, I, I think I'm off to download a tracker. Um, it's been so incredible to talk to you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your humour. Um, and thank you for the awareness that you're raising. Oh, thanks for having me, Katie. And I'm, I'm going to think about blood sports and <laughs> I'm going to think about that conversation you're going to have with your seven-year-old soon. It's all going to be good. <laughs> I'm off on the school run now and I'm going to be like, right, you know those sweets in the cupboard? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'll be great. It'll be great. Well, you can report back. I look forward to it. I'll tweet you for everyone okay. to see. Good. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please follow where you get your podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show or share on your socials. <laughs>